Anyway, we are in a series called Curse Words. Thanks for being here. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in as well. Uh, This series is not about learning how to say new curse words. You probably know them all anyway. Um, This series is really about talking, talking about words and ideas that are sometimes offensive to us, that sometimes rub us the wrong way, and honestly, things that we just really don't like very much. And last week, if you missed last week's message, uh, I'm not going to recap it all. We just talked about the F word. Um, If you go to YouTube and type F word access church, you will find it. So, and it's not a video of Kevin. But today, today I want to talk about another curse word. And I think this one is even more offensive to us than last week, if you can believe it. Because this is the word that we're going to talk about today. I think you and I need to say and practice far more often than the F word from last week. And this week we're talking about this, the N word. Now what church can you go to where the pastor tells you about the N word? (laughs) But here's the thing. What we're going to talk about today has so much potential for our lives. It can help us make wise choices This N-word that we're going to talk about today can help us live a healthier lifestyle. This word that we're going to talk about today, this curse word, can help us manage our time better. It can help us make better financial choices. This N-word today, this curse word, is a word that people like Steve Jobs and Warren Buffett have pointed to as like, this is one of the secrets to success, why they've gotten where they did. This N-word can help us as we raise our kids. This N-word can help us with overcoming, you know, harmful habits and addictions. This N-word can help us establish good relationships and boundaries. This N-word today has so much potential to benefit our lives. But unfortunately, we view it as a culture, as a curse word. And the word is this. No. Ah, Not the other one. No. Two little letters that have become, I think, one of the hardest words to say in the English-speaking language. No. And I don't know where it changed. I don't know if there's like a, a specific pinpoint in time where something happened, but I think what has happened over time is that culture has made us focus more on another N-word, the word nice. And because nice has been placed as like the pinnacle of human life, nice is the goal we should all achieve, in view of that, no seems like a curse word. But it has so much power, it has so much potential, it can benefit our lives so much. But unfortunately, we have let no slip away into being a curse word, so uncomfortable, we can't say it. We think that you can't be a compassionate person and say the word no. We believe, I mean, we literally believe that you can't be a loving person and say the word no. But what boggles my mind about this idea, about this word no, is that you and I, we have all experienced times in our lives where we said yes, but we should have said no, right? We've all been there and we've all suffered because of it. I remember, you know, in my life, there's a pattern of this, but One of them is in 10th grade, I had a girlfriend, and um, I should have said no to her a lot more than I did. We would spend uh, late nights together. Um, I would tell my parents that I was off doing something else, and secretly 
I was hanging out with her. Uh, my mom will even remember I told her that we broke up and we really didn't. And like, ugh. Now, <clears throat> we never went all the way or anything like that. But there are some regrets in my life and there is some pain in my life and there was certainly a lot of grounding in my life that I could have avoided if only I'd said no. If only I had made better choices, better decisions. If only I hadn't thought of no as such a curse word. I mean, who knew growing up, you know, 10, 15 years later to think I just should have cursed a little more as a high schooler and said no. But haven't we all been there? Don't we each have a story? Like, think back. I mean, for some of you, it's this. You know what? I should have said no, I'm not going to date that person. Or no, especially, I'm not going to marry that person, right? I mean, how much time and energy and pain and alimony could you have saved if you simply said no? That's not a good idea. I'm not going to say yes. Or financially, what if you and I had learned to say no financially, that we didn't buy whatever it was that we think we needed or maybe in a, as an expensive version of it? Like, what if, what if we had said no? You know, with this whole COVID and business closures and economic downturn, maybe it wouldn't have hit our lives so hard if we'd learned to say no. I'm not going to buy that thing. I'm not going to go into debt. I'm not going to make more monthly payments. Or, no, I'm not going to send that text message. No, I'm not going to post that to Facebook. No, I'm not going to punch the wall out of anger. No, I'm not going to talk behind somebody's back. No, I'm not going to visit that website again. No, I'm not going to say that about my kids. Like, how much less regret would we have experienced in our lives if we'd only learned to say no? The N-word, this curse word, like, and it takes courage, it takes guts. I know it's hard whether we say it to ourselves or others, but this word is so incredibly powerful. But we have let it slip into a territory of being, might as well be a curse word for the American culture today. And we, you and I, you watching online, we have suffered because of it. So let's change that. Let's not allow this to be a curse word anymore. Let's do something about it. <clears throat> now, there are a lot of different things we could talk about as it relates to the word no. You know, we already talked about saying no financially or saying no to drugs or alcohol or whatever sort of thing. But, but there's three things that I want to talk about today that I think, as I look at culture, as I look at our world, as I think about the things that I deal with in my life, I think there are three areas that you and I need to learn to say no more or need to be aware that even no is an option. It's three areas that I think if we can understand this as a culture, it will solve so many problems that we're all facing. And I mean, gosh, I don't know how to say this. We just got to learn to say no. Like, <clears throat> I, I, here, <clears throat> I'll tell you, here's the first one. <clears throat> Man, singing that song. You and I, the first one is this. We have to learn to say no to our kids. If you have kids still living in your home that are under your care, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a guardian, whatever it might be, if you have kids, they need us to say no to them. They need structure. They need discipline. They need to know where the boundaries are and not to cross them. It's as simple as that. Telling our kids no you can't go play in the middle of the street 
is one of the most loving things we could possibly say to our kids. But it means we have to say no. And as I look around our culture today, I think there's this, I don't know if this is necessarily your story, but I just think in general, if I was going to generalize parents in America today, I think there is this hands-off kind of laissez-faire approach to parenting. That most parents today, or it certainly seems the culture, most parents are content to let their kids just kind of figure out things on their own and go where they want to go rather than saying, no, this is right and this is wrong. Most parents today seem much more content with, well, you know, you just kind of make your own decisions and come up with your own personal experiences rather than saying, no, that's not correct. Most parents today want to allow their kids to, you know, just be happy and do whatever they want instead of saying, no, you need to be responsible. Most parents today, this is a big one, want to let their kids make huge life-altering decisions way too young rather than passing on core convictions and values and teaching them morals at a young age. Rather than saying, no, taking from somebody else is not okay even if they have more than you. No, throwing a tantrum when you don't get your way is not okay. No, deciding your own gender at six years old is not okay. Now, I don't mean that to be offensive, especially if you're watching online. I don't know where you're at with the whole transgender issue, but can't we just all agree that a six-year-old's brain is not developed enough to make that sort of life-changing decision that early? Isn't it our responsibility as parents, grandparents, guards, people raising these kids to say, no, that's not good for your life. Let me show you what's better. Out of love, out of care, out of compassion. We want our kids to turn out awesome. We, we wish nothing but the best for them. But they don't just pop out that way. It's up to us as parents to teach and train them and shape and mold them. And this hands-off approach is hurting so many kids in our world today. And the odd thing about this is, is it's the exact opposite of what God tells us to do. Solomon writes this in Proverbs. He says, discipline your children while there's hope, while there's time, before it's too late. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Solomon is saying, listen, while they're still in your care, while you still have a say, while they still respect you a little bit, Say no, discipline, train them, shape them, teach them right for wrong. Say no when they're headed the wrong way. No, you can't be friends with that kid. I know, they, I know you think they're fun, but what if his parents, we told our kids, no, they're not good friends, that's not a good crowd, that's not a good family to hang out with. How many parents across America today wish that their teenagers had a different group of friends, Right? If only we had taken our responsibility more seriously and said no a little more often, maybe we could have prevented such pain and hardship in their lives. Or when we're at the grocery store in the checkout line or at a toy store, no, you can't get that new toy just because we walked by it. No, you can't have that pack of gum just because you want it. What if we use the word no more often to teach our kids about responsibility and saving, and how to manage money, and how to set priorities. Think about how much pain and struggle and stress we could save them from in the future. How much interest we could save them in the future if we simply said no a little earlier on and taught them 
how to handle their money better. Isn't that our responsibility? That's certainly what Solomon said. Teach them no, discipline them while there's hope. I think the big struggle for parents today is this idea of being a nice parent versus a good parent. And this is something I heard Kevin, our founding pastor, talk about 10 years ago, and and it's stuck with me ever since. But there's a difference between the two. We can choose to be nice parents, or we can choose to be good parents. Nice parents just want to be buddies with their kids. Nice parents just want their kids to be their best friend, to hang out, to, hey, come over here, let's chat together. And so because of that, nice parents never say no. Discipline becomes a negotiation. Hey, what do you want? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? That's what nice parents do. But again, it's the complete opposite of what God instructs us to do with our kids. Look at another proverb Solomon wrote. He says this, Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment, whatever that looks like for you, whether that's spankings, taking away privileges, for sure it means saying the word no, that won't kill them. I know we think it will, but I promise it won't. Good parents know that by saying no, they're actually raising their kids right. Because it's not going to destroy their lives. They're not going to hate you forever. They're not going to grow up with some complex that they need counseling later on. Saying no is one of the best things that we can do for our kids. And listen, saying no up front, especially if, we've, if, we, if we haven't said it a lot, can be hard. There's going to be lots of tantrums. And people might look at us in the store. But listen, the more we say no the more we shape and mold our kids and the more that stuff stops. We can train that behavior out of them. We can train them to operate from understanding principles and how to manage their emotions. And if you and I as parents, if you have little kids, the more we can do this while they're early and while they're young, the more we set them up for success later on in life. I believe that to the core of my being. If we say no, when it's appropriate, okay, I'm not talking about being just like this, no all the time, but when it's appropriate, if we can learn to say no while they're young, while they're still in our care, before it's too late, like Solomon said, we will have trained them how to be so much more successful in the future, how to manage their emotions when they don't get that job, how to manage their, their view and their anger when the offer doesn't get accepted, how to manage themselves if their presidential candidate doesn't get elected. We will set our kids up for success if only we would curse a little more, if only we'd say the word no. And it's tough, but if we do it out of love, out of care, out of concern for their future, it is one of the most beneficial words we can say to our kids. No. So that's the first one. We need to learn to say no to our kids. The second one is this. We need to say no to enabling others. Now this is a lot like the first one, except now it just kind of applies to all of our relationships that we have. But in culture today, it is getting harder and harder for us to tell the difference between helping somebody and enabling somebody. Have you felt that before? Like, man, I don't know if this is really good or if I'm making the problem worse. 
But we have to learn, as people, we have to be able to identify when to say no to enabling other people. Now, out of our love, we ought to do everything we can to help people, right? To help them when they need it. But help is so different than enabling. Helping somebody should never mean that we remove consequences, Helping somebody should never mean that we allow the pain or the hurt or the destructive lifestyle to continue. That's enabling. We ought to be people who help. And again, the book of Proverbs is so great. It covers so many things. But Solomon addresses this one right, I mean, the, 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 what's the nail on the head or whatever that phrase is? I don't know. Whatever. This. He says this. Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you're going to have to do it again. And this doesn't sound like the nice thing to do, but it is the right thing to do. This doesn't sound like the nice thing to do, but this is the loving thing to do. If we truly care about other people, this is what we'll do. And here's the deal. You can replace hot-tempered with any other descriptor that we want. And the point is still the same. Hey, people who um, lie must pay the penalty. They have to. People who don't work, they got to pay the penalty. People who cheat have to pay the penalty. People who can't control their emotions have to pay the penalty. People who break the law must pay the penalty. Because here's the deal. Solomon is really hitting both sides of the coin here. If we enable them, if we rescue them, we are harming them and us because they never grow. They never learn. They never mature. They never face the consequences of their actions because there's always a safety net, right? There's always a rescue. Of course, we're going to always be there to bail them out. And also on the flip side, you and I, we just got to keep doing it over and over and over again. It's a vicious cycle. If we don't learn how to start saying no to enabling other people, we condemn other people and ourselves to a never-ending cycle of never getting better, never growing, never moving on past habits or addictions or destructive lifestyles. And I think the part about this that gets uh, kind of muddies the water, especially when Christianity and faith come into play, is, is this idea. I don't know where this one came from either, but somehow you can't really love like Jesus. You can't really be a compassionate person like Jesus if you say no to somebody, right? How I mean, you call yourself a Christian, you're going to tell me no? Listen, that's not Christianity. Jesus even instructed us to say no. We like to think of Jesus as just this sit under a shady tree holding a lamb, being nice to everybody. But even Jesus told us and instructed us, say no, don't enable people. I talked about these verses last week, but I actually want to read them all this morning. <clears throat> he says this, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, hey, you've won that person back. That's awesome. You haven't enabled them. They're going to grow. They're going to mature. You can move on in the relationship. Woo, good job. But if you are unsuccessful, establish a boundary line. No, this is not okay. 
No, this is harmful. No, this is hurting you. No, this is hurting me. No, this isn't the right way to think. Establish a boundary line. If they don't listen, take one or two others with you and go back again. So that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, don't move the boundary line. Take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, this is harsh, we don't hear about Jesus like this today, but he says, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. What Jesus is saying here is this. If somebody is doing something that they ought not to do, whether that's against you or someone else, say no. That's not okay. Establish a boundary line. Then say no again. Then say no again. Then bring some people and say no again. But don't you dare ever move that line. For their sake and for your sake, hold that line. And Jesus says this. There may even be a time when you and I have to say the ultimate no and end the relationship. As much as we don't want to, as painful as it's going to be, for their benefit and for ours, out of love, out of care, out of concern, say, nope, this is done. That's not okay. Dr. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. John Townsend is a co-author of a best-selling book called Boundaries. It was a New York Times bestseller and I was reading an article from his earlier this week because, let's be honest, figuring out how to say no is a tricky situation, right? Like, sometimes it seems like we want to say yes, and sometimes no, and how can I know whether something's hurting or harming somebody? And so he, he wrote this article that has five questions that we can ask ourselves to help make that decision better, because it's not always black and white, right? It's not always a clear-cut answer. Sometimes we need wisdom and discernment to help us figure this out. And so I, I thought these questions were wonderful. I hope you agree. They're going to be on the screen, and then I just want to read what else he wrote in his article. Here's the first question that we can ask ourselves. Are they, the other person, unable or unwilling? He says, if someone is truly unable, it might be right to offer help. But unwilling is a completely different story. A homeless person with no place to sleep might be legitimately unable to provide for themselves. But a homeless person who refuses to work may be more unwilling than unable. And he says that's the first question we ought to ask ourselves. Number two is this. Are you resourced? Again, these are just questions internally we ask ourselves. He says, do you possess what the other person is asking for? That might include the finances or the time or the energy required. So often I see people giving what they can't afford to give and then not being able to meet the demands of their own lives. He says we need to make sure we are resourcing ourselves for the priorities we have been tasked to do. Question number three, do they have skin in the game? He says, in other words, are they putting significant effort into solving their own problems? When a person who is struggling simply receives help passively, it tends to foster increased passivity and what psychologists call learned helplessness. Do we want to make people be more helpless? I don't think so. That's not what I want to do. I want to help, not increase helplessness. Here's question number four. Will you feel cheerful or reluctant? 
It says our emotions provide information for us. If we feel cheerful, then that's a sign you might have made a good choice. But if we act out of guilt, that's a sign that you might need to rethink all of this. And then finally, the last question is this, and if you struggle with enabling or helping and deciding between the two, I suggest you take a picture of this screen while I'm talking. Here's the last question. Is the outcome gratitude and autonomy or entitlement and dependency? He says, the last question is based on your history with the person. What have been the results of you providing for them in the past? Are they thankful and able to bear their burdens more? That's a good thing and a positive sign that you may be doing the right thing. Or do they become entitled and demanding more of your resources and is their dependency on you increased? He says, not a good sign. Pay attention to the outcomes. I want to tell you a story, something that actually happened. This was probably three or four years ago. And a guy came into the church offices, just sitting in the front office. And he came in and told us he needed some money. He, uh, it was probably a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and he said, hey, I don't have enough gas to get me back, back and forth to work the rest of the week. I get paid on Friday. I just need some gas money. Went into this, you know, whole story of um, life's rough. You know, he had some unexpected hospital bills. Um, he was falling behind on some other payments. Uh, all sorts of things. And as he, as he shares this story, he just kind of keeps coming back. Hey, I just, need, I just need a little bit of money so I can get gas to make him back and forth to work. And so we're sitting there listening to him and, and just ask him, hey, um, if we give you money this week, what's going to happen next Friday or the Friday after that? Or I, just, I mean, honestly asking him, are you going to be in the same spot next week? And he kind of, you know, mumbles around a little bit, but reluctantly he says, yeah. I'm going to be in the same spot next week. You know, I'm just, uh, my finances are out of control. And again, kind of goes into this, life isn't fair. I just need money. I don't have enough. And as he's telling his story, I just start to observe. And as he's talking, he's got out his brand new Samsung Galaxy phone, which I don't know why anybody would buy a subpar phone, but... (laughs) (laughs) So he's got out this brand new phone, And I look out the window, and he's driving a brand spanking new SUV. And I mean, part of his story was just his his payments on his car. And just things aren't adding up in my head. And so he shares more story, and I just tell him, hey, look, here's here's the deal. Here's what we will do. We have a Financial Peace University class coming up in just a few weeks. And as a church, we will cover the cost for you. We will enroll you. We will take care of all the fees. You don't have to pay a dime. Just show up. We want you to go to this class and Learn how to manage money better. Learn how to uh, make better decisions with your money. We will cover everything if you will just go to this class. Guess what he said? No. He says, I I just can't do that. Uh, You know, whatever. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Can't do it. Can I just have some money for gas so I can get back and forth to work? We wanted to help him. As a church, we were ready to take on that cost so that we could actually better his life, so that he could talk to a financial advisor, learn how to make better decisions. But all he wanted was a handout. And handouts never help anyone. Handouts never help anyone. And so we did something that was incredibly tough. We listened to him and we talked to him. 
And we prayed for him that God would make a way and that God would, you know, he'd be able to feel his presence. But ultimately, we told him, no, we're not going to help you. Not because we can't, but we're choosing not to. We offered you help and you declined it. And listen, saying no is one of the hardest things you and I will ever have to do. But there is a benefit on the other side of no for everyone. Look at what the author of Hebrews says this. He says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Duh, it's painful. But afterward, if you and I can have enough courage to say no, afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Don't you want to help people? I do. And that means it's hard to say no. That means it might take more time and energy and resources. But let's actually help people rather than just give handouts and then pat ourselves on the back. Let's say no for the other person's benefit. So that's the first two. We need to learn to say no to our kids and to enabling others. And this last one we're just going to cover really briefly. We run out of time. We talk about it all the time. But it is this. We need to say no to distractions. And specifically, what I mean for us this morning is saying no to things that distract us from God. If you've been a part of our church for more than a couple, I want to say weeks, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, more than a couple months, you will know how much we talk about, how much we value spending time with God. That spending time with God is one of the best things that we can do, that ultimately the solution for all of our problems, any problem that you and I might be facing, the ultimate solution is found in spending time with God because it's there that he changes our hearts. It's there that he molds and shapes us. If you're experiencing anxiety, spend time with God. If you're struggling with depression, spend time with God. If you're wondering what to do next, spend time with God. If you need help overcoming a harmful habit or a sin in your life, spend time with God. It is so crucially important for us to experience the presence of our Heavenly Father. But that means we have to say no to distractions. No to things that will steal our time with God. One of the more famous stories with Jesus is with two sisters, Mary and Martha. And if you've grown up in church, you know the story. But we're going to read it again because it's perfect for this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what was taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my lazy, good-for-nothing sister, okay, I added that, just sits here while I do all the work? Doesn't that seem unfair to you? Can't you tell her to get off her butt and do something? Look at all this food I got to prepare. Tell her to come help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, my dear Martha, you're worried I'm set over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it. And it's not going to be taken from her. In other words, Jesus said this, No. No, Martha. You quit doing what you're doing. You, Martha, are distracted. I'm not going to tell your sister to stop doing something. You're the one who's got an imbalance in your life. Now, not to be irresponsible, not to do that forever, but 
Don't, Jesus is saying, don't let these distractions, don't let the big dinner, whatever, distract you from spending time with me. And I don't know exactly what that means for you or for you or for you watching online. We all live different lives, but don't we all kind of live busy lives too? I mean, even, even with COVID and closures and all that, we are still just as busy as ever. We're trying to trim 30 hours worth of stuff into 24 hours a day. But what about our time with God? What about enjoying his presence? What about talking to him? What about just being meditating on his word on the Bible? In order to do that means we have to say no to something else, maybe even some good things. In order to spend time with God, we might have to say no to things like overtime or to things like going up north another weekend or to watching the game with friends. I don't, I don't know what it means. It's not an exhaustive list. But so that we can say yes to spending time with God, yes to coming to weekend services where we can worship together and experience God's presence and hear the Bible in a, a relevant way that we can understand and apply to our lives, we might have to say no to some other things that we can be involved in a small group and do life with other people and, and, and help apply God's word to our lives. We might need to say no to some really fun, awesome things your family has always done so that we can volunteer and use our gifts and talents and resources to benefit other people. Listen, the single most important thing that you and I can do any time, any day, any moment, any situation, the most life-changing thing is to spend time with our Heavenly Father. But that means we've got to say no to distractions. We have to say no to things that are going to get in the way. And I would just encourage you to do this. Schedule it. Put it on your calendar. Set time aside every single day that, God, nothing is going to distract me from you. And so here's the thing. Like I said, this is not an exhaustive list. We could spend another month of series talking about things we can say no to. But out of these three things, I just want to ask you this question. Which one do you need to work on? I know which one I need to work on, but what about you? You don't have to tell anybody. This is just between you. Which one of these things is going to give you in your life with the people you love and the people you interact with, which one is going to give you the most bang for your buck? And here's what I want to encourage you with. Let's start saying no. Let's be bold. Let's have courage. And let's start saying no a little more often for the benefit of them and for the benefit of us. Let me pray for you before we head out. Um, God, this is tough. This is a hard one because we care about people. We care about our kids. We care about people who are hurting in the world. We want to be more compassionate. But Father, we've been fooled. We've been tricked by culture to think that no is a curse word. And, and God, I just pray that as we experience your presence, that you would reveal the truth to our hearts. That no can be loving. That no can be compassionate. That no is even what you say to us sometimes. And Father, I just pray that you would mold us and shape us to be more like you. May May our emotions not get in the way. May what culture says about us not get in the way. May what people accuse us and say, you're not loving, you don't care about me. May not even that get in the way. Father, we invite you to do, 
to do a work in us so that we can learn to say no out of love and out of compassion for other people. Father, you give us courage. You give us strength. You, as, as your presence fills us, may those qualities that are about you, may they also come from us as well because you are in us. And Father, I just thank you in advance. Thank you for your peace that will protect us as we make these decisions. Thank you for your wisdom that you will bring as we spend time with you as we make these decisions. And Father, I just pray that you would continue to lead us to say no when it's appropriate for other people's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.